0: In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God. You know, one of the most important things in, in our lives is prayer. One of the most important things in our lives is prayer, and because we focus on um, our relationship with God, and our relationship with God is key. It is core. But of course it's difficult for us to have a relationship with God if we feel that there's no conversation. You know, we, we feel like we pray. And whether it's praying liturgically as we do here, whether it's praying personally, whether it's praying in your youth meetings or Bible study groups, we pray in lots of different ways. But sometimes we find it to be a real struggle to pray because we don't hear a response. We don't hear anything coming back to us. And it's not uncommon for us to feel abandoned. Now. You may remember the words of our Lord when he was on the cross and he said, why have you forsaken me? Now what you may not realize is this is actually throwing back to Psalm 22.1. It says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me? and from the words of my groaning." So even the Psalmist at this point, and you know, when you look at the Psalms, they are the ultimate in prayer. This is someone who was so close to God that he spoke to him, he wrote the Psalms. That was the way he prayed. And yet, his words are, "'My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me? So it's not uncommon for us to sometimes feel not only that God isn't listening, but to actually sometimes even feel abandoned. That's a horrible thing to say. It's horrible to think It's a horrible thing to accuse God of, to accuse him of abandoning us. To accuse him of not fulfilling his promise, because God said to us very clearly, I will not forsake you, I will not abandon you. And so for us to feel that he's abandoned us, It's an accusation saying, God, you're actually, you're going back on your word. You're not fulfilling your promise. I wonder how many of us have felt that at times. How many of us have actually felt, God, you've promised me so much. And yet, when it's important, when it's critical, you're not there. I'm not going to ask you to put your hands up, but I'm sure that, Most of us, if not all of us, will have felt that at one time or another. But sometimes, when we feel that God has abandoned us, it is actually when he hears us most. You know, when you're going through troubles, tribulations, struggles, even persecution. We look at what happened to people over the whole history of Christianity, since its establishment. The disciples, the apostles, followers of our Lord Jesus Christ throughout the centuries. Even until today, even until today, our own own sisters and brothers in Egypt are still paying the ultimate price. Christians around the world are still paying the ultimate price. And at those times we think, God, God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me? But then we forget the words of our Lord in the book of Exodus chapter 3 verse 7. And I want you to remember these words. If you're good at memorizing, memorize this. Exodus 3, 7. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt. I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. Just in that passage, God says I have surely seen the oppression of my people. Which means what? Which means his eye is on us. He didn't say I know of the oppression, he says I have surely Surely, definitively, certainly, personally, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt. And Egypt, of course, at the time was a symbol of captivity. They were servants. They were slaves. They were captives. They were in bondage. They were not liberated. And so, if we are going through situations when we think God isn't listening, we need to remember this verse. When you remember this verse, Exodus 3, 7, and you remember God saying, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt, then you remember. Because Egypt was symbolic of captivity, of struggle, of servitude, then you remember that for each and every one of us, God also sees that. God looks at us, and he sees our oppression. He sees our struggles, he sees our persecution. And he goes on to say, I have heard their cries. So he sees us, and he hears us. He's with us. He's with us all the time. He's not just looking over the whole world. Of course, by definition, he is. But he's looking at the whole world, but is then looking at each and every one of us specifically, personally. You see, the difference is our God is our God. Our God is one who looks at us specifically and personally. He doesn't just look at a mass of people. He looks at his people, his children. He looks at those who call upon his name. He looks at those who need him. And not only does he see them, but he hears them. I have heard their cry. So when you cry, when you call out, when you're in pain, when you're struggling, when you're alone, he hears you. When you feel like no one is interested, remember that God is certainly interested. And not only interested, but he's our father. He's the one who looks over us and keeps us. And then he goes on to say, "I know their sorrow." So we have a God who sees, who hears. And who knows? He sees the oppression, he hears the cry, and he knows the sorrows. Very personally. Don't ever feel that God doesn't listen. the book of Isaiah chapter 53 verse 7 we read he was oppressed and he was afflicted yet he opened not his mouth he was led as a lamb to the slaughter as a sheep before the shearers is silent so he opened not his mouth you know what that means it means our god our lord who took flesh who came to this world who lived our life knows Because he doesn't just know from a distance, he knows firsthand. He has been led as a sheep to the slaughter. He cried tears in Gethsemane. He ascended to the cross and was betrayed. He was humiliated. He even looked like he had failed. And why is that? Of course we know that our God, because he wanted to be with us, he came to us. He took flesh to live with us. You know why? Because he then can say, I know your sorrow. I hear your cry. I know your oppression. Why? Because I've lived it. I've experienced it. This isn't something foreign to me. You know, if you, if you live in a huge palace, And you turn to people who are suffering and you say i know what it must be to be poor actually no you don't you may try to know you may make an effort but no you don't know earlier this week we had a service at westminster abbey in london particularly focusing on Christians of the Middle East and the Archbishop of Canterbury preached and in his sermon he said something very important he said looking at Middle East church leaders he said we owe you a debt of gratitude because unless one lives in that state of persecution we don't know what you're going through And that's very true you can try to understand you can try to empathize you can try to relate you can try to do lots of things but you don't really know and this is why if god had not taken flesh we could quite simply have dismissed him God, what do you know? What do you know about suffering? What do you know about betrayal? What do you know about being alone? What do you know about abandonment? He says, well, actually, I do. I do know. I know because I was there on the cross, On my own, betrayed by a disciple, denied by a disciple, abandoned by disciples, mocked by those whom I came to save, and killed by those who insulted me. Yes, I do know. So when I say to you, I hear your cry, it's because I know your sorrow. When I say to you, I'm aware of what you're going through, it's because I understand your pain. Our God is not a God who decided to live in an ivory tower in his kingdom and rule us from a distance he decided to come down from his kingdom among us now let me explain something here to be clarify he didn't need to do that to understand because he's God and he would understand he did that so that we could see him among us He did that so that we could be reassured that he understands. He did that so that we would be confident that we are heard. You know, There were many people around our Lord, many people who loved him and who served him, and three of those people were Lazarus, Mary and Martha. We know the story that in the Gospel of St. John, our Lord receives a message that Lazarus is dead. And so... John eleven five to six. When he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. Lord, are you serious? This is, this is the man you love. And even if you don't love him, you love his sisters. Imagine in this society. Sisters who have nothing but a brother, and he dies. Surely, God, surely, if you are compassionate and empathetic and all-knowing and loving, the minute you heard that Lazarus was sick, you should have gone straight over there so he didn't die. So what does it mean that you wait two more days? Do you not love them? How many times do we have this thought process, Lord, you see my pain. You see what I'm going through. You see what's going to happen. If you are the all-knowing God, why are you just sitting there doing nothing? And we accuse him. We accuse him of doing nothing. And yet we know that because he stayed those two days, people saw a miracle unfold before them. And many believed because of what they had seen. Mary and Martha got their brother back. Lazarus got his life back. And all those who observed, believed. Okay, let's assume our Lord had not waited for those two days. He healed a sick man. Surely, surely, not as impressive as raising someone from the dead after four days. Four days. This wasn't just, this wasn't the little girl who was just died and still on her bed. This wasn't the son of the widow who was being carried to be buried. This was a man who was buried, who was in the grave, who was dead four days. And so when he was raised, It was miraculous, it was effective, it was life-changing, it was life-giving, because they believed in the incarnate Word, because they believed in God who came. And so we need to remember all these things. You know, we're told often we need to read our Bibles. We think, yeah, yeah, sure, of course, but what's the point? I've read these stories before. I've done this so many times. Surely, surely, if we have read these stories as many times as we say, and if we have absorbed them, surely they would be of more impact. Surely I would remember them better. Surely I would learn from them. Surely they'd be more effective. Surely they wouldn't go in one ear and out the other when I hear sermons and scripture. Surely I would take in this word and then not only take it in, but apply it to my life. If you have read the Word of God and you have felt that is, it is ineffective, read it again. Because the problem is not in the Word of God. The problem is in my absorption. The problem is in my reception. The problem is in my willingness to understand. That's where the problem is. And so, live in the Word of God. Understand the Word of God. Consume the Word of God. Remember the Word of God when it matters. Remember that he waited two days for Lazarus. Then he went and raised him when he was dead four days and how effective that was remember that he looked upon the oppression of his people in Egypt he heard their cries he knew their sorrows and then he called them out and he led them he led them powerfully through the wilderness with a pillar of cloud a pillar of fire with manna from heaven with quails with Water from a rock. That is our God. Our God is a God of the impossible. And so let us not limit him by our own imagination. Because you and I have a plan, right? We have a plan for our lives. My plan is that in this situation, it should be resolved in this way. Okay, that's great, but that's all I know. What about all the ways that God can resolve it that I don't know? All the things that can happen that I can't even imagine. So, did Mary and Martha really think that our Lord was going to raise their brother from from the tomb, from the grave? Did the children of Israel really think they were going to be led through the wilderness by a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire? Did they think when they were at the shore of the sea? When Pharaoh and his soldiers were coming, did they think, for a minute, that that sea would separate? Why? Because it's just not imaginable. It's not imaginable. What do you mean the sea separates? What do you mean a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire? what does it what do you mean that someone is raised after four days doesn't make sense and yet he hears and he listens but he responds in the fullness of time he responds when it is best and most right and most effective to respond that's why in the in the book of Malachi chapter 3 verse 6 we read for I am the Lord I do not change Remember that verse I am the Lord I do not change And what that means is the Lord Who saw the oppression of his people, who heard their cries and who knew their sorrows, the Lord who came to Mary and Martha and knew their pain, the Lord who has responded faithfully is the same Lord who will listen to each and every one of us because he does not change. Why would he? How could he? God is perfect. So, you know, God isn't, God isn't fickle like you and I. God can't be faithful one day and then unfaithful the other. God can't be patient one day and then impatient, loving and then not loving. That's just not in his nature. It is not possible for him because God is perfect and consistent. And as we read here, he does not change. And so that's why when we read in 1 Corinthians 1.9 that God is faithful, and you put Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 1.9 with Malachi 3.6, you read, for God is faithful and he does not change. He is constant and consistent in his faithfulness, because he is perfect. St. Basil the Great says, when the sun goes down and when it rises, when you are asleep or awake, give thanks to God who created and arranged all things for your benefit. Understand that he creates and arranges all things for our benefit. That's what sets him apart. That's what makes him God. And when I know that, when I feel, as St. Basil says, that he has arranged all things for my benefit, then I can understand Proverbs 3, 5 more. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Because if I know that he arranges all things, then I will trust in him, I will rely on him, I will lean on him, I will feel confident in his hands. So, John Kleimaker says, Let your prayer be completely simple. Let your prayer be completely simple. Does that mean now you can go to Abuna and say, Listen, sorry, Sayyidina said, Let your prayer be simple. So, we don't need liturgy anymore. We don't need Tazbaha. We don't need Agbaya. Let's just pray simply. That's not what it means. It means when you come to liturgy and you lift up your heart, lift it with simplicity. What is that simplicity? Simplicity is that I am speaking to a God whom I know, and whom I know listens to me. So ask with simplicity. Simplicity. In Tazbihah, raise up your heart in the same way. With the Agbeah, raise up your heart in the same way. In your own personal prayers, lift up your heart in the same way. In the knowledge that our God is a faithful God who hears, who sees, and who knows. And as we read in Psalm 121, verse 3, He will not allow your foot to be moved. For he who keeps you will not slumber. He who keeps you will not slumber. For you are in his heart. His eye is on you. He hears you. He sees you. And he knows all you want. But let us then with confidence, with faith, with patience, wait for him. Because he is unmovable, consistent, always faithful, and always loving to the end. And glory be to God forever.